Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. So this is our yearly week of the class where we're studying the Parsha, right? It happens obviously only once a year and it's such a delight because, um, you know, when wherever will be the Shabbat morning, you know, unfortunately we'll not be together in shul. If we hear the Torah reading, we're going to hear really uh, familiar and, and, um, and, and resonant words because we've been lingering in these words for quite a while. I, I just, I find that to be a, del- a delightful um, synchronicity every year. Uh, and, and, and when it's a syn- delightful synchronicity, and it's a reminder of how quickly the Torah reading goes when you're just listening to it. It's a different experience, obviously, than studying it. And it reminds me once again of the wisdom of the of, of Chazal, the rabbis who enjoined upon all of us that which I, and don't mind admitting to you, I've never been able to do on the level that we should that every week, every Jew should do Shnaim Mikra Bechad Targum, should read through the entire Parsha twice, and one Targum either into another language or to commentary before you get to Shul, so that your experience <laughs> of Shul is allowing those words to just kind of do, do their magic, but you've already done the study. So it's, it's always good to have aspirations. Okay, we're in chapter three of the book of Shmot. We are in the middle of the Rashis of verse two. We didn't do the last one. Let me get let me get us going with the verse, and then um, I'll assign one of you to read the Rashi. So, verse two, uh, we're on page Kaf Dalad in the uh, Torah Chaim Humash. Vayera Malach Adonai Elav, a um, angel, a messenger of God, appeared, was seen to him. Right? I mean, if if Vayera is literally was seen, but it's really translated as appeared because it's to, not by him. In some kind of a something of a flame, right? And we're not going to go backwards, but we discussed that labat could be from lev, the heart of the fire, or it could be some variant of the word that means flame, like a shalhevet or lehava. Mitochasne, from within the bush. And we discussed how the me, the mem here, can be um, wonderfully and um, um, confoundingly mean two opposite things me could be within and also can be from meaning not within like apart from uh from the inside of the snare of the bush vayar and he saw presumably moshe behold the uh bush is a flame on fire the and the bush enenu is not ukal this is the as we're about to see in Rashi, the, the passive of Ochel um, consumed. The bush was not consumed, obviously not consumed by fire. Um, and we also, um, I think the first time we read this verse, looked at some of the translations. I think it's Everett Fox who translates it in such a way that the last phrase, the Hinei Hasnet Bo'er Ba'esh, and this is a subtle difference. Rather than it being the editorial voice describing the situation, he reads it as the Torah telling us Moshe's momentary reaction. So um, um, this is how Everfox translates it. And Yahweh's, that's how he does God, messenger was seen by him in the flame of a fire out of the midst of a bush. I don't know if it's accurate. I don't know if he's right. But I love it, that translation out of the flame in the flame of a fire. So he's reading Labat more related to Lehava or Shalhevet as opposed to Lev out of the midst of a bush playing around with what mean means. He saw colon here. The bush is burning with fire and the bush is not consumed exclamation point as if those words are representing Moshe's internal reaction which is a slightly different way of communicating the, the meaning to us than saying that, that we, the reader, are being told this by the editor, okay, by the editorial voice. So we're about to read um, the Rashi on the last comment of, of Rashi on Ukal, but before that, Rick and Barry. Hi, a question on a Nenu. Yeah, uh, it it seems like a really big word for just saying low. It couldn't have just said low ukal. The the bush was not consumed. So 
when I see a Nenu, I, I hear Hineni, and and uh, is that is that the uh, the intent there? I don't think so. I think that is um, that, that it its similarity to Hineni is a cigar just being a cigar here. That's my it's that's my guess. Um, and in, interestingly, in Hebrew, in b- biblical Hebrew, the words Yesh and Ain can be declined, right? In the grammatical sense of the word decline, which means like you conjugate verbs, you decline nouns and decline um, prepositions. Uh, and in biblical Hebrew, like in modern Hebrew, you, you don't, yesh, which means there is, only appears by itself and then the next word. But in biblical Hebrew, you say yeshcha, there is to you. And ain, which means there isn't, can be declined. Aini, I don't have. Aineinu, does not have. So it's really just ain and lo turned into aineinu. Um, lo there meaning lamed vav, to him, to it, not lo, lamed aleph, no. But and, you already have the subject in the bush. You don't need to him. It, couldn't it have just been the sne and lo and ukal? Or, or that, that um, can't be written that way. I mean, I don't know how to explain it except that it can't be written that way. Um, <laughs> okay. the, or at least once, once, the, once the verse started to be written a certain way, the, the placing the lo there wouldn't have worked. It, you, you, you could have done it. The ain hasne ukal, but for some reason the way biblical Hebrew works is that once you have the sne, um, that the it also could be hasne ain ukal, but the einenu is it's just the way the language works. Uh, and by the way, uh, the notion of declining nouns, uh, my my first semester of college, my friend Arya and I had um, had passed into the last semester of required foreign language at Columbia. So we, we took, we, we were in, passed into fourth semester of Hebrew. So we had to take one, we had to do four semesters of a foreign language, but we passed into the fourth semester. We had a wonderful professor, Sir David Yerushalmi, who's a sweet, sweet man, um, uh, but was not a sticky man. And my friend Aryeh was a very sticky student, a good student, but a sticky student. And this Israeli professor using proper English um, grammatical terms would say, you know, okay, so Adam conjugate the verb leak row. And then when it would be for a noun, he would say to Aryeh, like, okay, Aryeh, decline, say fair. And Aryeh would say, no, thanks. <laughs> the professor kept falling into the trap the, uh, what the word decline when you're asking someone to decline something. So this is ain declined as a nenu. Uh, Barry. Um, uh, so uh, interesting, the translation you just read uh, would indicate that the the flame uh, is in the bush, but not the, the bush itself is not a flame. It, it, it's almost like looking at a hologram of a flame uh, located inside the bush, and, and that might uh, uh, inform some of the um, grammatical construct of this sentence. Yeah, we, we spent so much time on that last week, and and Everett Fox tries to play around with with with, with what these words should be are, are trying to convey in terms of the image that we're trying to see, right? And we often talk about this: how how would you depict this in a picture or in a movie? And several people have tried to, right? Um, but his reading is uh, a fire out of the midst of. So that's how he does. Mi toch, because toch means in, mi means out, from. So out of the midst of is actually a wonderful way of rendering mi toch. It's not the only way, but it's a wonderful way. It's like a hologram uh, located in the bush. Yeah. Um, Larry or Diane, does Aryeh, uh, is it, um, which translation do you have in front of you? Do you have... Alter? Who has one of someone has alter in front of them? Someone has Arya Arya Kaplan? We have both. Okay, well how does what's the English there? And the Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush, and he saw, and look, the bush was burning with fire, and the bush was not consumed. So from from the midst of? Yeah. Okay. That which one is that? That was uh Alter? Alter. Alter. And, And Arya Kaplan has God's angel appeared to Moses in the heart of a fire in the middle of a thorn bush. As he looked, Moses realized that the bush was on fire, but was not being consumed. 
So that's interesting. Arya Kaplan is, is doing almost a bit of a transliteration or kind of a, a lyrical rendering of it. Um, re, re, again, how he says the, thor, the mitochasne? In the middle of a thorn bush. Yeah, in the middle of. Interesting. So that's very different than out of the midst of. Wait, wait, wait. In the heart of a fire. So yeah. he, okay, he calls it a, the heart of the fire. As yeah. In the heart of a fire, in the middle of a thorn bush. Yeah, really interesting. So, and with heart, he's he's ruling on the side of the commentators that read it as lev, not lehava. Remember, Rashi tried to play it both ways, right? He says shall hevet eish libo shall eish. Um, these are interesting interesting decisions that a translator and commentator has to make. And he also, in his notes, he actually references why he did that. Yeah, can you want? Is it worth sharing? Um, it's a little bit cryptic. He says heart uh, tanchoma even Ezra. Amore Nivukim, it's transliterated. And then Radak, um, he says, Sherashim Svilavav, or Flame, Targum, uh, targum and then Rashi, um, or Essence, Ibn Yanach. I've never heard of it, Ibn Janach. So, the most yeah, interesting. Kind of, kind of cryptic uh, notes at the bottom. Yeah, the most interesting thing that's referenced there is the Morena Buchim, which is Maimonides, Rambam's philosophical and theological treatise. And um, apparently, I, I, if I had known this, I had forgotten that, that he spends some time in Morena Buchim uh, breaking down what happened in this scene, which makes sense for someone trying to lay out a basic human theology. You'd want to know what happened in the moment that God revealed God's self to the Jewish people. So I'll have to take a look and see what the Rambam says there in Morena Buchim. Good. Okay, let's look at the last Rashi there. Uh, Matt, we haven't heard from you in a while. Do you want to pick up and then, uh, since this is a short one, you can keep going with the next verse. On Ukal, which is... Okay, first... I don't think we did the second Rashi. Yeah, we didn't We didn't look at... Yeah, I think we did. That oh. we looked at that verse, Imonochi Basara. We didn't do that? We, we didn't look at Psalm 91, that's for sure. Okay. Um then maybe we set it up if we never look at it. Okay, fine. So um, then, Matt, please begin with mitochasne. Uh, but you were about to say something. I'd be glad to. But, I'd be glad to, but I wanted to throw something else onto the fire, so to speak. Well done. Well uh, this done. This discussion reminded me of something I read a long time ago about creosote bushes, which live here in the Mojave Desert. They're very oily. And they can catch in flame. And it turns out that they don't grow inside it. But they're going in and out, Matt. There's something called dictaminus. And I'm turning off my video. There's something called dictaminus, which which uh, grows in North Africa. And it's a plant that excretes so much oil that lighting a flame next to the flowers causes the plant to be enveloped in flame. Mm. Mm. And this flame quickly extinguishes without injury to the plant. Mm. So this reference here says it's not found in the Sinai Desert today, but maybe the climate was different 3,000 years ago and it was found there. So, or at least it gave the, um, whoever wrote this down, uh, a prompt for a very powerful image. Yeah, wonderful. That's an interesting contribution. I always have a, an interesting array of feelings and thoughts when something miraculous and inscrutable in the Torah is linked to something potentially real and scientific right. and discernible, right? Because on the one hand, it, it, it helps reify the story, but it also, I, I'm not looking, me personally, I'm not looking for the scientific underpinning of the story, right? I'm, 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 right. I'm trying to hear from it age-old religious um, and human wisdom but the the person the part of me that's intellectually curious certainly wants to um, you know connect things like the Exodus uh, and the experience of the Israelites in slavery and perhaps even the makeup you know the botanical makeup of the bush um, uh, and connect that to, to that what is what is possible. So I, I have a like a mixed reaction, a mixed feeling inside me when I'm exposed to those kinds of um, uh, conjectures. But I but I but I but I always appreciate them being contributed. Yeah, to me, um, to me it, res- it resonates. It makes it even more powerful because yeah, it helps you put 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 you in the context of the events themselves. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, what am I Great. reading? Mitoch Hasne. Velo Ilan Acher Mishum Imo Anochi Bitsara from Psalms. So Mitoch Hasne from inside the, the bush and not any other tree because Mishum because uh, uh, then it goes to Psalms. Uh, uh, I, I, with him, I will be in trouble. I will, I will be troubled with him. Right. Like um, I'm pretty sure we did look at this, but I'm happy to look at it again. That R- Rashi is pulling from Psalm 91, which is the psalm that is it's recited in the liturgy. It's also part of the um, the burial ritual. And what the it's verse 15 from Psalm 91. It's on your screen. Yikra eini. Uh, this is from in in God's voice when He the human, the Jew, calls upon me, and I will answer him, with him, am I, God, in trouble and travail, I will remove him, I'll extricate him, and I will honor him. And we talked about how this is like the biblical version of the, of the classic footsteps poem and, and the Hallmark, Hallmark card. And it's a theology that says yeah. not only that, God recognizes us in our distress and helps us. But when we are distressed, God is distressed, right? This, this in, intense association that our people have experienced or fantasized about our relationship with God, that it's not just that God noticed that we were enslaved and pulled us out, but when we were enslaved, God was enslaved. So um, what's, how it's being used here is that why God? Why does God choose to appear in the sne and not the great cedar tree, right? And we're going to see similar stuff when we get to Har Sinai. Why does God appear in a modest mountain and not, and not the Everest of the, of the desert to let let the Israelites know uh, and to let us know that even and especially when Israel is in modest circumstances, painful circumstances, reduced circumstances, God not only sees us there; God is there with us. Um, Thoughts, comments by Matt and or others on this? Uh, I have no comment. Uh, okay, so let's go to the next uh, Rashi, Ukal. Yeah, except except that I don't see how what Rashi says proves what he's saying. It says, Mitok from the bush and not any other tree because I'll be with him in trouble. What is that? How does that answer the, the question? Yeah, so I would say this Rashi is less of a proof Rashi and more of a uh, the Mishum here. It's kind of like from the perspective of or from the angle of, right? So you, reader, are wondering why it's a sneh, a lowly bush, and not something grand. And if, if you read the verse from the perspective of God saying, I'm with you in modest places, then all of a sudden this location makes sense, right? He Sometimes Rashi brings a verse as a proof text. This is not uh-huh. a proof text. This is a color the verse in your mind, reader, this way. And then it begins to make sense. That, that's my read of the Rashi. Diane Larry? Yeah, well, I didn't remember last week, so that's why I asked you to do it. I, I, I'm with Matt. I kind of understand it. And I went to, to look at, at the psalm and the commentary on the psalm, at least by Benji Siegel and all that. And it's really, to me, it's a, it's a stretch. But I now see the connection. I went out to the, the Midrash Tanchoma at the end of Shemot 14, which is the one that's referenced in there. And it's very short. It says, um, it has a quote from, um, from the psalm, translated as, I will be with him in trouble. Inasmuch as they were enslaved, I appeared in a bush of thorns, which is a place of trouble. Therefore, out of the midst of a bush, which is full of thorns, I appeared unto him. So it's, it's what, you, what you described. That's not the but to tell you the truth, that's hardly the verse of Psalms that I would choose. I don't know which one I would choose, but it's pretty obtuse. So, Yeah, um, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought the Tanchuma because the Tanchuma seems to make it clear that it's not just lowliness and modesty of this bush, but the thorniness of it, which actually draws, a, I think, a sharper connection between the verse of Imonochi Mitzara and the notion of a snare. But oh, you're right. right. It's still it's still not an, it's, it's not a slam dunk, right? This is not a slam dunk by Rashi. This is a, um, yeah. Th- this is a 
consider reading it from this angle kind of a commentary. That, that's, that's my read of Rashi. Be interesting to see what the super commentaries on Rashi said in this verse. I didn't, I didn't go deep into that uh, before today's class. Diane? Yeah, I, I sort of a general question. Is there any sense here that this took place in a vision as opposed to um, an, an actual fact? Because so many appearances of God in the story seem to take place in a vision. Is it possible that a burning bush, which is a sort of miraculous sight, suggests that this wasn't actual, you know, that this was in a dream? Um. My quick answer to your question, you know, reflecting my non-comprehensive knowledge of all the material on this verse is no, right? I, I don't know of a, tr- I don't know of a classic treatment of this that suggests that this is akin to Yaakov's dream, uh, but rather that to the extent that we're reading this as stuff that happened, but that, that it happened, that it was Moshe's actual experience uh, in, in waking. It doesn't mean there isn't a Midrash out there, but I don't, I don't know of a treatment of it in that category. Um, but but just to just to to play with it. So what, why do you ask? What 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 does that? What's bubbling up for you such that that's a question? Well, the, the burning bush for one. I mean, it's it's like an apparition. Uh huh. Interesting. Um, also, flame. You think about um, um, the Brit Ben Abetarim is also uh, a flame. That was clearly a, a vision, a, a dream vision. Yeah. Um, not that I know of, but, but as I, as I say, half jokingly, half seriously, when you all write your Torah commentaries, you can read these verses exactly as you want to. And I mean that, right? There's nothing holding any of us back from, from writing in a drush or in a monograph, our commentary on any particular uh, moment in the Torah. Um, Barbara, and then Joel. Can't hear you yet, Barbara. Still cannot hear you for some reason. You're, it says you're unmuted, but there must be something with your microphone. One sec. There you are. Now you. Now we hear you. You hear me? Okay. Yeah. Why is the bush considered to be thorny? I, I don't. Why, it just says it's a bush. You're saying why does the Tanchuma assume that the word sne refers to a bush that's thorny? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um. That's a good question. Uh, what I. Does, does anyone um, have the the, the brown br- uh, driver uh, the, uh, the, B, the BD the brown driver Briggs biblical dictionary in front of them? It might be that that it's just kind of um, a known thing that the word sne means. Le- uh, Leonard, what did you say last week about sne? Is, is sne the hexagonon? Where's Leonard? I think he's looking it up. He pulled out a book. Uh, I don't think it was. I'm looking it up again here. Joel is waiting. I was going to I was going to speak to that anyways according to my concordance it's there's it's only one other time besides this story in all of Tanakh okay and that's um in um um uh, Moshe is talking about uh is blessing Yosef and the, he uses the word sneh and that's the only other time in all of Tanakh right um Yes, I, I, know, I know that laning. Um, hmm. so, so we don't have any internal context in the Torah to determine if it's specifically a thorny bush. Thorny bush. Leonard, if you have something, let us know. In the meantime, Robert, it's a good question because you're right. It's an assumption by the Midrash that it's thorny. Marshall? Actually, I do have the Brown Driver Briggs Dictionary. Okay. It says a, a thorny bush a blackberry bush. Um, and it gives several other references. And it says the word uh, uh, sene means thorny. Right. So we have two choices there, right? So either the meaning of the bush with thorns attached to it is derived from this scene with the assumption already built into it, or it's actually the case. That etymologically, the word sne meant a bush with thorns, because you're right, Barbara, not every bush is thorny. That's why I was interested when, when, when uh, Larry added the actual source in the Tanchuma, just from Rashi, we know that, that, that what we're dealing with is something modest and small, but what Rashi is culling from a Midrash that, 
focuses on the thorniness of the bush. In a second, after I deal with the hands that are up, well, I will read the Gur Aryeh, which I found on Safari, which is the Maharal of Prague's commentary on this Rashi. But let's go Leonard, Rebecca, and then Rebecca, and then Barry. Okay, so uh, Snez defined as a thorn bush, um, probably identical with the Rubus discolor, whatever that is. But well, that's obvious. But uh, what's interesting is, is that there's actually cognates in several other Semitic languages where it's always a thorn bush. And in Akkadian, it's a blackberry bush. I don't know if a blackberry bush is thorny, but apparently so. Hmm. Um, I just love the fact that someone on the planet knows how to say blackberry bush in Akkadian. Like the, that, 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 uh, that just <laughs> makes me happy that someone has studied Akkadian that well, that they not only know how to say father and mother, but they know how to say blackberry bush. Um, Re- Rebecca. I, I want to echo that. I just found um, there's an article in Haaretz, which I can't really open because I don't have a password on my phone. <laughs> but it says the same thing, that it's the it's the name of what in Hebrew would now be petel, which is blackberry and is a thorny kind of bushy plant. And it does bring up Akkadian and also and, and the Latin uh, rubus um, and in Greek batos that somehow are connected. Is so, the rubus there the, spelled the way that we think of the, the T, the R-O-O-I-B-O-S? No, it's R-U-B-U-S. Uh-huh. Interesting. So not, not the South, that South African tea, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, we have a family friend from my, from my father's college years who for, I don't know, 40 years taught um, ancient Semitic languages at Brandeis, um, Dr. Tzvi Abush. And when he would visit us, he would like... <laughs> Wait, what's his name? Tzvi Abush. Abush? Uh, yes, I didn't even think about that pun. His name was... <laughs> A A B U S C H A Bush. Well done. Um, we're not getting very far today, but it's been wonderful. Um, and he used to come visit us and then like randomly refer to things in our houses in their Akkadian or Ugaritic. So he, we had a dog whose name was very originally Kelev that he used to call Kalbu because apparently Kalbu mm-hmm. you say dog in in either Akkadian or Ugaritic. So it's lovely that there are such people like that um, who, who exist, who, who study Sumerian for our, for our, uh, mm-hmm. our, our joy. Um, let's see. I got Barry. I don't remember if, I don't know if Barbara's hand is up from now or from before, mm-hmm. from before, and then Matt's hand is still up, but let's go to Barry. Well, the, the thorniness would just add to its kindling capability. This is uh, the, the most kindly bush that did not kindle. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good. Um, uh, Matt, is your hand up from before or? Cause yeah, I just wanted to add that um, I have a he- Hebrew, Hebrew like student dictionary here that, ref- that defines Sne as Siach Midbari Kotsani, a thorny desert bush. So one more voice. Siach Midbari. Good. I, I didn't, I wasn't aware that you could use Midbar as an adjective, uh, a deserty bush. Siach Midbari. Wonderful. Um, Okay, let's look at the Gur Aryeh for a second. Um, just because I, I found it quickly while you were, were discussing that. Hold on, where are you? Okay, so um, I've said this many times, but just to remind you, the, the Maharal of Prague, he doesn't write, he does not have a linear commentary on the Parsha, on the Torah itself. He says many things about the Parsha. He doesn't have a running commentary, but he has a commentary to Rashi's commentary on the Torah. There are... Many, many uh, super commentaries on Rashi, the, 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 and, and the Gur Aryeh and the Mizrahi are the two most common ones that you find when you, buy, when you have that volume. Um, and, some, and it's interesting to see how they read Rashi's uh, Perush. So I'll go through this a, just a little quickly. Imo Anochi Betzara. So just to be precise, here the Maharal is not quoting He's quoting Rashi's quoting of the verse, right? He's not commenting on it, but he's like, why does Rashi use this verse, which is the same question we're dealing with. How is this a proof text? Ein haperush klau, shehu chas v'shalom, lamarkach. Don't actually think that God is in Tzuris, right? What the Aryeh is referring to is, as you, as you lean into this uber-intimate theology that God is with us in Sarah, that it's too anthropomorphic for, um, for the Gur Aryeh, 
and too limiting, right? It's too limiting to say that God is actually in service. And what does it mean to have a God who's in service? Ach, perusho, rather, the meaning is, shahu yitbarach, that, that, that God, may God's name be blessed, asur bezikim b'Yisrael. An interesting phrase. Asur, as you know from halachic language, means prohibited, but it also means bound, right? Matir asurim in the Birkoda Shachar, blessed God who releases the bound, the shackled, right? To be bound, which is why, by the way, it means prohibited because you're bound by the, the prisoner. Right. So is, so it's, um, I think here Asur is being used as a gerund, right? Not as a noun, but, but is bound bezikim in, 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 in cables, in straps, in restraints, be Israel in Israel. It's a very subtle distinction. It's not that God is actually in Suris, but, but God is still shackled with us. God isn't suffering because we don't want to, he can't think of it. He can't imagine a notion of a God who suffers, but God is still actually there in our uh, entanglements. The Mahem Tamid, and God is with them, meaning us, always. Lachach, therefore, Ka'asher Yisrael B'Tzara, when Israel is in Tzara, in distress, Ein Malchuto B'Shlemut, God's kingship is not complete. So it's not that God is suffering because we don't want to imagine a God who suffers, but in the extent that we are integral partners to God's being a ruler, because God only rules if there's ruled. And if we are diminished, then God's kingdom is diminished and God's kingship is diminished, not because God's God's self is diminished, but God's ability to be a king to the people is diminished because we are diminished. Lefichach, therefore, hayanirelo bisne. That is why, according to the Gur Aryeh, according to Rashi, God chose to appear to him in Esneh, Hamorelacha, which teaches you, Al ki'ein malchuto b'shlemut. Imagine God in that Sneh, God is trapped ish, God is reduced ish, God is imprisoned ish, representing the diminished stature of God's malchut, while we, the Jewish people, are. Um, are similarly restrained. So one might say that, you're, that, that that's a distinction without a difference. If you're saying that God's kingship is diminished, then God is bitsara, is in distress. But the Maharal wants to kind of make a, a subtle distinction between, between those two concepts. Um, it goes on, but that's the main point that he says. And that's one super commentary's attempt at trying to understand Rashi here. Um, I didn't have time to look to see if... Uh, what the Mizrahi says in that. Um, okay. Any last questions or comments before we read the thing we were going to read to start this class 35 minutes ago? Ukal. Ukal. Leonard Rebecca. Wait, before Leonard Rebecca, can we have, speaking of Perush, can we have a Perush mat on the pig that Donna is hugging in your picture? Because I am so curious oh, about so that funny. story. Okay, you want to slow this? You just want to slow the lesson down even more? Okay, I'll tell yeah. you. Yeah, so we we were uh, touring in uh, the Netherlands, and we met this lovely couple on uh, just through some meetup thing. And they said, "Why don't we go for? Why don't we go for a bike ride in the countryside?" And we said, "Great!" So we were in was it Amsterdam? Let's. I don't think it was Amsterdam. It was some big. It was, oh, I think it was Rotterdam. So. Uh, we rented bikes at the train station and rode out along the canals to see where a bunch of old windmills had been placed and restored. And it was lovely. And the way back, we stopped at an inn. And we got to the inn, and there was this guy, this sort of large, round guy, dressed entirely in pink. He was driving a pink T-Bird convertible. He had it parked there. He had pink pants and a pink shirt and this cute little pink pig. And and that. And Donna said, oh, he's so cute. Can I pick him up? So she did. And if you'll notice, they're both laughing. Both Donna and the pig are laughing. That's amazing. And, and that's the picture. So many the of you pig know. Has been big. The pig is now either 500 pounds or, <laughs> or long or, since been eaten. <laughs> the pig is not a Nenu Ukal. The pig has probably been <laughs> Ukal. <laughs> uh, but I think he was a pet pig. I mean, pigs are so cute and they're so smart. I mean, it's just terrible to eat them. While we're digressing, uh, many of you know Stuart Weiss from the shul. Um, when his one of his parents passed away, um, 
the Shiva was at his sister's home, lives in Culver City. And um, his sister has a pet pig. And it was so interesting to be davening and leading a Shiva minion with a pig right in the room. And there's nothing wrong with it, right? Like we're not supposed to consume it, but there's nothing wrong with the animal. And it was so interesting to like say the Shema and Viahavta with a pig at your feet. That, that, that was a singular rabbinic moment for me to do a Shiva with a pig. Okay. I, I don't think. What's that? I think that falls under what? what I think that that falls under michmat mitamas, something like that. How do you say it in Hebrew? It's just so repulsive that you can't even think about it. Um, yeah, but, no. But no, as you say, they're, they're no cute. Jew, no Jew in my grandfather's village would ever allow a pig into the stable. I don't think so. Correct. Um, Tova's hand is up. Well, wait. Since I'm telling stories, one more story. My <laughs> uncle said that when he was a kid in the old country, what they did one day was that they rounded up some pigs from the neighbors and they ran them through the cheder, just through the Hebrew, Hebrew classroom hut. And they ran the, the pigs through the hut, just dafka to the teacher. You know. <laughs> well, you know, halachically speaking... Oh, um, wait. I'm telling story. Halachically speaking, our, our relationship with the pig is very different than our relationship with the, the combination of meat and milk. Um, so a Jew is not allowed to consume a pig, um, and a Jew is not allowed to consume the um, uh, the combination of meat and milk. But a Jew is also not even allowed to own the combination of meat and milk, and not allowed to derive any benefit from the combination of meat and milk. And that's from the the, the triple the three times that the Torah says verbatim lo tavashel gadiba chalevi mo. You should not boil a kid in his mother's milk. The classic rabbinic source in that it says that's teaching us three prohibitions, three isurim. Don't eat it, don't own it, don't derive benefit from it. What does that mean? It means that you can be an Orthodox and observant Jew who owns a pig farm and d- derives your um, income from the raising of pigs as long as you're not selling it to Jews. But you cannot own a cheeseburger farm. That would be a good thing to have on the planet, a cheeseburger farm. You could, you're not allowed as a Jew to derive, to own or derive any benefit from the admixture of milk and meat. So um, uh, our, our, our antipathy, our, the extent to which certain trait things are toxic to us conceptually is much lower vis-a-vis a pig than a cheeseburger. Now you know that, if you hadn't known it before. Okay, Tova, and then Leonard and Rebecca, and then we will with all... <laughs> We will definitely read this last Rashi today. Okay, I guess a question and an observation. I was kind of looking back uh, and thinking about the this whole image that we're talking about. And I'm wondering, as we talked about, it begins with the Malak Elohim, which seems to then disappear. Is there any precedence for, in, in Torah, or the uh, understanding that the Levat uh, ha, uh, Ha'esh was the Malak? That is, we, we tend to think of a malak as being an ish, right? The, that, that, that appear and have that particular function that they serve, and then we don't see them again. Could that have been the malak uh, that draws the attention of Moshe? Because I was, I was glancing ahead, and we have Moshe's attention drawn to this strange spiritual phenomena. And then when God sees him turn aside... Then God speaks to him, and Moses shields his eyes. So we have his attention drawn visually to a sign, which is why I'm wondering if that is the malak. Yeah. But then when he actually encounters God, it's again through speech, which is the paradigmatic way that we see God interact with the world is through the word rather than visually. Uh, lovely uh, supposition, Tova. I don't remember giving you permission to read ahead. So next time... Uh- <laughs> My eye skipped to the next <laughs> verse. Um, yeah, what, what, I mean, the, the the way into that read, if you wanted to grammatically, was would be to read the b as right. not right. as in, but as as right. right? That God, the, the the malach of God, appeared to him as a labat as opposed to from within a labat as. Again, right. I don't know if a translation that reads it or a midrash that reads it that way, but. But 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 I love the playfulness of it. It actually reminds me that I wanted us to look at Chizkuni um, as we continue to not read the verse. I wanted to read verse. If you go down to the bottom right of our page, actually, no, I might as well just. There's no reason for me not to bring it up to everybody. 
Um, second, I forget how easy it is to do that in uh, Safari. What, what, where would we be without Safari? We'd have books, that's where we would be. Um, so I'll read the Hebrew, you can read the English there on Labad Eish. Um, in the Hebrew, ragil Why does God appear to him in kind of a flaming fire? So that Moshe would become accustomed to that image. So they not get all famished and confused and, and have a, a shocking reaction to it. When he comes from Sinai to Sinai, which I do think is an intentional alliteration, even if it's not exactly etymologically connected, right? The first appearance of God in fire is Sinai. The next appearance of God, appearance of God in fire is Sinai. Mm-hmm. From the fire and the, and the brimstone and the thunder that, that happened at Revelation. So the Chizkuni, it's not the exact same thing you were saying, um, Tova, but it's reminding oh. me that the Chizkuni is trying to say that, that the, the, the visual here from Moshe's perspective is not just representing the relationship that God has with the Jewish people, which is how Rashi is reading it, but we're trying to accustom Moshe and I suppose the people that Moshe is going to be leading to God appearing in in a fire in a in a fiery way. Now, is that appearing as fire or in fire? That's where your question is 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 um, is asking us to consider. But um, I liked I liked I liked Chizkuni's foreshadowing of Sinai in this sne moment. Um, okay, Leonard, Rebecca. Okay, um, well, I'm looking at uh, Nachama Leibowitz, and she makes an interesting observation over here, and that is that. In subsequent revelations, and in fact, most of those experienced by the patriarchs, the revelation is entirely auditory. It's just the sound. In this case, you have both the sound and you have this great sight, the visual as well. And so she asks the question, how do we understand this sight? Was this revelation through fire designed merely to attract his attention, to make him look up and stare to shock him and prepare him for what was to come. In that event, it is pointless Mm. to look for any special significance in the bush or the fact that it never burnt out. Or alternatively, was the bush really meant to be symbolic, subject to both general and detailed interpretation? Mm. And then he goes through the various commentators So Rashi goes into the first camp where he totally ignores the significance of the bush and he just says, oh, it got got his attention. And then she talks about the other ones where they go through the interpretation of what the meaning of the bush is, including his kuni. Great. Um, While we're living that, I want to give a shout out to my um, niece in Framingham, Massachusetts, Daphna, who I think is watching on Facebook because she just texted me, you should get a pig, give Paddington a friend. So I think that the, the, for people who are watching from far away, the, the thing that is most interesting so far in this she or is, is the, pink, the pink Dutch pig. So hello, Daphne, if you're still watching. Um, okay, Diane Larry, and then I'm calling it. And then Matt's going to read the Rashi. Diane yeah, at one point, I forgot, in my story, I forgot a key detail was that the man's face was also very pink. So <laughs> in a very Dutch way. That is All a right, very, very key detail. Okay, Diane Larry. I'll be very brief. First of all, I'm thrilled that you went to the Chizkuni on your, on, by yourself, but you should have gone to the next Chizkuni Okay. In answer to, to Tova, which also gets back to something we I talked about last week. Should I, can I pull it up? Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right, hold on. Because it's, it's actually great. Okay. Go ahead. So... Um, some commentators explain that seeing an angel is a completely disembodied intelligence and has no physical aspect at all. Uh, I'm just stop there. But also flame is disembodied. And so the whole idea of this disembodiment of some, Diane called it a vision, but of intelligence, of speaking, which is also disembodied, that there's the physicality of the bush, which we have a lot of commentators talking about, but we've also then got the disembodied message, voice, flame, angel, all hovering there inside of the bush. I mean, to me, it's just a wonderful image. And the, the last thing I'm going to say is in the third uh, Chizkuni, which we won't talk about yet because we haven't gotten to the third Rashi, he references Shemot Rabbah too, 
And I really commend to everybody afterwards, go to Safaria, go to Shemot Rabbah 2, verse 5, read the whole thing. It's fantastic. There's some unbelievably wonderful references in there. I don't know why we're not reading Midrash Rabbah alongside of all this. Well, that will be our next class. Right? When, we, when we finish Dvarim, we'll come back to the beginning and do the whole thing through Midrash Rabbah. I mean, you're right that once you're swimming in the sea, um, it, 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 quite literally, there's an endless amount of, uh, of tributaries we could be going down. And I love the tributaries we do off of Rashi. And I also love that we're, that our, our main ship here is the ship of Rashi. Um, the, I don't know if I can pull up on Safari the actual Hebrew of Chizkuni because the Hebrew is actually interesting. Let me see. Yeah. So here's the Hebrew, right? It's, it's always good to see the original, um, what, what Larry just read at the translation, the Hebrew is Yesh Mefarshim, there's some who say, Mipnesha Kulo. Um, it's interesting. I have in my Chizkuni, the, the next word is Moach. Yeah, me too. Um, because, because it's hard to know if the reference here is God or the angel, is all, Moach means brain, but I think what's going on here is all non material. It's, it's, it's all, you know, um, ethereal. There is no possibility to, to carve, to etch for God or in God's name or in the angel's name, some kind of a, a symbol of a face. So it's an entirely different way of reading why fire in sne. It's like, um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm, I can't believe I'm going to uh, tell this joke. It was one of my, my grandfather's favorites that a, um, a guy is walking down a street in Lower East Side and, and he's looking to buy a watch and he pass, passes by a store and there's, you know, the image of, 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 a, of a watch on the store. He says, ah, perfectly, a watch store. And he goes in and says, yes, I'd like to buy a watch. And the guy says, excuse me, this is not a watch store. He says, what do you do for the thing? He says, I'm a moil. And the guy says, you're a moil? Why do you have a watch on the outside of your store? He says, what did you want me to have on the outside of my store, right? But um, bum. So the notion is that w- w- how else could God have been portrayed or displayed or presented if, if not in something that is ethereal like this and non-material? And even the notion of the flame not consuming the, the bush, like it's, very, it's a different notion than, than a bush on fire. A bush on fire is something that is, is material in the real world. This is not. It's like a mixture of those two. So thank you, Chizkuni. Thank you, um, Larry, for pointing us there. Matt, please read Ukal. You sure? You sure? All right. I'm positive. Ukal. Ne'echal. Uh, in other words, was passive was eaten. Kemo lo so lo ubadba. It wasn't lost in it. These are examples from Dvarim, and another example of the passive is Asher Lukach Misham from Breshit, which was taken from there. Right. So let's look at these both in, in person. I, my supposition as to why Rashi is doing this is that there are indeed two passive uh, binyanim in Hebrew, nifal and pu'al. And nifal is more common. And these are both pu'al. And this is Rashi doing grammar. Rashi saying, you know, reader, in case you're confused by the pu'al form, I'm telling you, this is a pu'al form, and you probably know more words in that form than you think, reader, and I'll give you two examples. Okay, so Dvarim Kaf Aleph, this is, anyone know the, the context of this of this verse? I go up, it'll give it away. This is the unclaimed um, corpse, right? Uh, someone who's been, uh, who, who's, di- who's died or who's been killed in between two towns, and how, how do you, how do you, write that wrong and how do you somehow deal with the fact that there is a, a body that is no one is claiming right so um it, it, some of you know what what the rule is but we're focusing on the verse this is verse three uh the city that is closest to that body the elders of that town shall take a bakar a calf of a, a young cow asher lo which has not ubad ba been worked right, never been yoked ubad. It could have been mm. ne'evad, mm. but it's ubad. Um, if I were even more of a grammar nerd than I am, I, I would give you a discursus on the um, on the differences, like what the subtle differences between those two passive forms. Um, 
and I actually make this mistake all the time in, in spoken Hebrew, the difference between um, um, nizgar and sagur, right? Like if, if, uh-huh. a, store is, if a store is telling you um, when it is closing, it'll be nizgar, nizgar b'shesh or nizgar b'shesh. If the store is telling you it, ha- it is closed, it's sgura, right? Um, or sagur. And so th- there's, th- there is a difference between these two passive forms. And in this particular situation, the Torah chose ubad, has not been worked, which is a little bit different than ne'ebad. And the other one, you know this verse probably even more commonly, um, is the, um, the banishment of the Garden of Eden, God banished, sent away him, really them, from the Garden of Eden, to work the very land. I think it's just coincidence that you have the root lavod, whereas the previous incident was ubad. Asher lukach misham, from which he was taken. He was taken from Adama. Um, Rashi could have chosen yet a more well-known verse um, from when um, uh, Eve is created. Uh, find it quickly. When Eve is named, yeah. So look at verse twenty-three. Vayomer Adam, the man, the human said, "Zotapam, this is the one." Etsem me'atzamai, bone from my bones, uvesvasar mibsari, flesh from my flesh. Lezoti karei isha, therefore she will be called. Interesting, Yikare. Ki me'ish, from man, lukachazot. That's the feminine of lukach, because she was taken from him. So um, this whole wait for this last Rashi in this verse is for us to just do uh, a a, a simple grammar lesson. Don't be confused, reader, by the uh, pu'al form. You find it in more situations than you realize. Okay? any things going once, going twice? Marshall, Bakasha. Um, you know, the Gelbard uh, commentary, Lishutoshal uh, Rashi, makes a point that the word enenu is generally only used with present tense. So the question was, ukal, is that ne'echal? Yeah. Uh, ne'echal in the present tense would have a kamatz under the chaf. Uh-huh. And in the past tense, uh, would have a patach under the, the chaf. So the question is, in our text, why is it the word ukal has a kamatz under the chaf? Is it because it's at the end of the word, in a plausible form, or, or why is it there? Um, You're saying that ukal is past tense pu'al as opposed to present tense pu'al? Is that the- yes, that, exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I, I can't. I can't totally find. I can't find a, a pu'al past tense in my my five hundred one, you know, uh, dic- uh, dictionary of verbs. But um, uh, that question is a good one. It's 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 beyond my pay grade. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't understand it, it either. So <laughs> I find it interesting that that Uncleus. I think we looked at this last week. Um, doesn't want to go anywhere near the pu'al and translate translates it as a hitpa'el. He, or it pael in Aramaic, uh-huh. uh, mit achil, what, 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 somehow like is not almost like consuming itself, is not being consumed, but it, it's reflexive. Um, he's not comfortable. And there is a form in Aramaic he could have done that, that, that does not go to the it pael. So that uncomfortable, whatever, whatever ukal is, whatever form it's in, Uncleus did not want to keep it there in the Aramaic. Yeah, I think we'll have to check it out in the book by Grandma Moses. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, let's for the last three minutes start reading the next verse because it's a it's a good one. Uh, whom have we not heard from uh, today? Elon, do you want to read verse three? Vayomer Moshe. Sure. Vayomer Moshe Asurana ve'ere et hamare hagadol hazeh. Madua lo ivar hasne, and uh, Moses said, um, "What is asura na?" Right, good question. That's what Rashi is going to be asking. The root is probably samech resh or samech vav resh, which means 
to remove, to distance, something like that. So if, if that's the general root, what do you think asurana might mean? Uh, don't look at? Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's really a hard word because the ah in front of asura suggests that Moses is speaking in the first person and the na, usually the na is, a, is an untranslatable word that softens a request that almost is like uh, an implied please. So, and sometimes it's rendered in English as let it not or let it be. So one way of doing asura not is, um, 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 it's so hard to do. May I remove? May I step aside? Should I step aside? Something like that, where the na is, is softening what Moshe is actually saying to himself, right? Let, let me step aside, keep going, and then I'm going to hear what Verit has to say, because I'd love to hear your translation of it. So let me step aside. The and, and see this great, uh, this great sight. Why, uh, why did the bush not burn? Good. And it's so interesting, the yiv'ar, again, we say all the time that tense means something different in Hebrew than it does in English, and it certainly means something different in biblical Hebrew. The form yiv'ar looks like a future verb. So is he really saying, why will it not burn? Or is it somehow a future, a verb constructed as a future is actually talking about the present tense? Why, why is this, this snet not burning? Okay. Vered uh, babakasha, enlighten us, and then Matt, and then we'll call it a day. Lo shomimotach, Vered. Ah, here we are. Yeah. So <clears throat> the word, the verb asura is in the Shoresh is Samech Vavresh. It's a form in grammar called cohortative, and you described it well, which means it's kind of a, a command, but a very, very soft command, a very nice command. May I, shall I? And the verb lasu means to step aside if in Pa'al. If you take it in different binyanim, it means differently. And so I read it as pa'al, I, may I or should I step aside? Like don't come very close to the burning bush, but just retreat myself, go a little bit back. You can also read it as the opposite of the word mutar, asur, which means forbidden. Mm. Don't do it. Mm. Don't come close. It's burning. It's fire. Don't come close. So you either look at it as a verb, sur in pa'al, cohortative, or you look at it as the word asur, which is the opposite of mutar, you know, forbidden or allowed. Good. So that, can you, can you, is there um, a common obvious use to this verb in modern Hebrew that we might know? I can't like, do you, do you use it in pa'al in modern Hebrew? Which one? Uh, Asura, no. This cohortative, no. We're not. But even the Shoresh, just the Shoresh. Oh, the Shoresh, yes, is a very used Shoresh, you know. Tasur Eli Acharkach or Tasur Lesham. Yeah, we use it. In Hefil, it means to remove. So that's a total. It's the same Shoresh, but means differently. This is Pa'al. Asura. As a soft command, cohortative, may I, should I, and that's the ending with the kamatz hey, and it's always only in future first person. Toda, so Don't lovely stop. to have that contribution. Like Matt, quickly because I know we're over time. You're still muted though. You're muted. Unmute. Unmute. Unmute, man. Uh, I'm going. I'm going to sing one verse of a Hanukkah song. Good, 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 good. Exactly. Right. Perfect. Um, uh, Leonard, remember what we were going to say next week. I want to just point to you that Unculus translates Asura as Atpene, like leaf note to turn. May, 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 maybe I should turn away, something like that. And Everett Fox translates this as Moshe said, now let me turn aside. Now let me turn aside is how he does Asurana. 
So we'll start there um, and see uh, Rashi says one thing on this verse, and what he says is trying to understand Asurana. Yeah, so Rab- Rab- Rabbi, there, there's, yeah. One more, there's one more sense of sur from Tehillim. Sur me ravi asetsov, Good. Very, very good. Um, a pleasure to study with all of you. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.